Hey guys, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors. Remember, Black Friday's coming up, and there's always some times that you have a hard thing finding for somebody, you know, a loved one who loves the woods. Well, guess what? Afflictor's got you covered. They've got a whole line of products, broadheads, apparel, ready for you to give to your loved one who loves the woods. Personally, I love the K2 Hybrid. Put an awesome shot on a deer this year with one, and the cutting power of it was just silly. Check them out online at afflictorbroadheads.com. You're listening to Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. I've never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. What's up, guys? Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. Today, I am going to be talking alone. This won't be a super long podcast, but it is going to cover some things that I feel are very important. They're very overlooked, too. Um, the, the title of this podcast is going to be Little Things Win Rings. It's one of my favorite sayings, and it's so true. Um, you ever notice how you walk in the woods and certain people see things and hear things differently. Um, for example, one guy might see a rub and another guy might see a rub and that rub is identified as being on a beech tree. Then another guy comes and finds the indentations in the leaves where the buck's hooves were, identifies how deep they are sunk into the ground. He identifies the forehead hairs on the ground with the shavings of bark and points out the deep grooves in the tree from the tines or the trash on the bases. Um, points out the fact that the rub is on one side of the tree, therefore the buck was headed in the direction basically that the the rub is not on, uh, the side that the rub is not on. And when you, you know, you find a couple of rubs, you know, 50, 100 yards apart and they're on the same side, you can kind of identify which way he was headed. So you have some sort of expectation there. There's so many ways to break down the sign. I think that a lot of people go through the woods and they're just seeing sign. They're not asking themselves why. When you see a deer, you just say, oh, a deer. Oh, I saw a big buck. Oh, I saw a doe with babies. You don't ask yourself why. You don't identify every single possible detail that goes into that. And here in the last two years, year and a half, basically, I started doing that, and it has really made my success 
just skyrocket. Aside from that, there are other little things that you can do to help yourself find success. I think the way that we dress on our way to the woods versus when we're in the woods and when we're coming out of the woods is huge. I think how we eat and how we drink and our amount of rest is probably the most overlooked thing in the world, and I am terrible with that. Um, If I would eat and hydrate when I'm in the woods, dear Lord, the things I could accomplish. And and not just, you know, you got to think about, it. it's not just the physical part. You're not just looking to be able to walk further or longer or, you know, something. Um, you're looking to help your focus and not be tired, not be nodding off. I know some, you know, I think everybody can agree some of our greatest naps can come from a tree stand. Uh, honestly, if I'm going to nap, I should probably just stay home. I, I didn't go out there. I didn't spend all summer and spring and winter pouring miles on my boots just to go take a nap. Don't get me wrong. not downing anybody for doing that. It's just that that's not my why. If I'm with a buddy or something and I'm just kind of helping out or filming, all right, I might nod off or something, but I'm here for a reason. And again, if you want to take a nap, go nuts. But I'll bet there's a pretty good possibility, especially for those people that hunt late October and into November, you're missing some encounters by sleeping. And that might not just be deer that are coming by at 35 yards, that might be a buck that was slipping through some thick cover at 90 yards that you could have thrown a grunt or two at and had him come in on a string and shot him that way, something like that. So first things first, I'm going to break down a little bit of what I know about... um, eating and and hydrating. When I competed in the IBO, uh, for those that don't know, that's the International Bow Hunting Organization. Um, They've been around the longest, hands down. Uh, Very, very cool experience to compete with all the different people in the Appalachian region from Maine down to Georgia and over to, you know, Indiana. We used to shoot uh, over on Lake Monroe. Uh, That's a part of the Hoosier National Forest. We shot up in Franklin, Pennsylvania. We shot down in, um, I want to say it was uh, maybe Staunton, Virginia or something like that. I can't remember. But you, you see all these different hills. Never, ever, ever did you shoot where it was flat? Shooting where it's flat was a joke to that organization. It didn't present enough challenges. And personally, after shooting there and shooting or uh, wanting to shoot the ASA, that is such a completely different ball game. And honestly, 
you know, there's it's two different games. It's it's one of those things where you have a lot of a tougher row to hoe when you have 20 other guys who are going to be within a couple points of you. The IBO thins all those down because you can't just be good at archery. You have to think about your footing and the whole nine angles. Your third axis has to be perfect. Everything about that. And honestly, it teaches you to be a better bow hunter, period. I think everybody that bow hunts should shoot competition and try to do so at a high level um, just so they can learn. So when I competed, uh, those that know me, they know that I'm not a tall, dark, and handsome dude. I'm not gifted athletically. I'm not super intelligent. I'm just your average dude. But I love it. I want to win. I'm very competitive. So the way that I would beat people um, was to do the other things that they weren't. Everybody else is drinking Mountain Dew and pounding beers and shots the night before and partying and doing all this stupid stuff. I got my sleep the night before because I knew, you know, I, I struggle with ADHD like you can't imagine. My focus is trash. You can tell probably just by listening to this podcast alone that I don't have Josh or Rick here to keep me on track. I'll rabbit hole like a mofo. So I had trouble focusing in archery early on. And, and it's something I always struggled with. Anytime my blood sugar would drop, I'd get a little tired, whatever, my archery game would go to hell. And that's all because you, you know, you, you need brain food, you need all that, that stuff that just keeps you focused. So after every single target, I would sit on my archery chair. You would have those, you'd carry them around, they'd hold your, um, your binos and your, your food, water, arrows, any tools you'd need, scorecards, etc. And I always heard a lot of people make fun of guys with archery chairs. Those same people never did worth a damn. Because the guy that can sit down and rest his legs, back, shoulders, neck, and just take a load off for, you know, 15 minutes on each target, well, you've got a huge edge over the guy that's standing all day long. Now, I can carry my water and food in there. Not a big deal, right? Well, when I can sit down and take a drink of water and probably drink, you know, you got to think it's pretty hot out during the Triple Crown, which starts in May, at the end of May. And then you shoot another one in mid-June and then another one in mid-July. And then you have the World Championship in August. You're sweating, you're burning a lot of calories hiking through those mountains. You're just sweating it off, man. It's tough. You also need something to hold a thermocell half the time because the bugs are terrible. You get on those flat benches and stuff where they set these targets or put the stakes and uh, there's puddles of water um, where mosquitoes breed and everything, so it just it's rough. So when I can drink a half a bottle of water <clears throat> or a third a bottle of water or whatever, take a drink, eat a piece of jerky or summer sausage or pop a few peanut M&Ms or 
granola or something, getting the protein and carbs and all that in there, that's something that helps your brain, believe it or not. It helps you stay focused and you're not as tired. You're not fatiguing. Your shots aren't breaking down. So when we we take that and we translate that into a hunt, if you notice, and I'm I'm very self-aware, I'm always trying to get better, so I notice that as we get through the morning, man, I start to nod off. That sun comes up, the woodpeckers, you know, start making their noises and it quiets down a little bit. That sun's just beating down on you. It's very easy to just nod off. Well, I've noticed that when I can hike my butt off, kayak my butt off early morning and then sit until noon or one or two o'clock in the afternoon from daylight basically and just sit and scan back and forth and listen like my life depends on it the entire time, not nodding off at all, that translates into success. And then when you think about you know, generally how it's going to go, you're going to get down and you're going to go around and scout some more. You're going to look for acorn scrapes, rubs, etc. Maybe jump some deer and figure out where they're bedding. You know, how, wh- however you hunt, which I've done a lot of that this year. And when you can walk through and you're not thinking, you know, walk through the woods, sorry. And, and you're, you're not even thinking about how tired you are or hungry you are. Your stomach's not growling. It's all about deer hunting. And so you go through the woods and you're focused and you're looking at sign and you're breaking sign down and you're not being lazy. It's very easy to be lazy and simply just not mark a waypoint or not sit and break down sign the way you should and just really ask yourself that important question of why Why, why, why? Why is this scrape here? Why is the rub here? Why did I just jump this buck with two does? Oh, he's in an oxbow with the wind blowing through the land bridge. I just found a raining pin oak. Oh, look at all the caps and the shells and the hoof prints and the beat up leaves and indentations in the ground and everything else, you know, and you you piece these things together and then all of a sudden it translates into an opportunity. And what I just did is I broke down my first sit in Indiana. That's basically what happened. I didn't get tired at all. I sat down after I got down at noon and I forced myself to drink water. I carry the large smart bottles. I carry two of them. So the last thing you want to do when you're doing anything similar to what I'm doing is get back in there and not have food and water and kill a deer, even a doe. Dude, you're going to bust your ass cutting that deer up, packing it out. You want to have water. You want to have a few pieces of jerky, some M&M's, something. That's going to help tremendously. So this translated into an opportunity. I, I followed, you know, all the edge. I looked at all the edge. I walked way far away to the private land egg, walked the river's edge up into the oxbow, jumped those deer, broke everything down, sat there and scanned my butt off in high winds, you know, just trying to capture 
any little detail that tells me a deer is here, would be here, is on its way, etc., etc., right? And then it translated into an opportunity the last four minutes of light. And to, to give you an example, and I'll, I'll do a video on this hunt. I hate that I didn't kill the deer. I miss the deer. It's super embarrassing because it was super close. I still really don't know what happened. But the deer came into 21 yards. I shot and missed. And I could see detail at this time. The deer ran another 30 yards and stopped looking around without a clue as to what just happened because I didn't even go to stop him. He was stopped broadside. Well, by the time I got an arrow knocked and looked over at the deer, I could just see a brown splotch. You know, it, it was over. So I hung my bow up and that was that. So fueling your, your body getting plenty of rest the night before, and, and keep in mind, I'm, a, I'm kind of a terrible example of this, but I'm a very um, high-energy person as well, so it helps me. On these hunts, I'm generally getting to bed by, you know, 10.30, 11.30, and waking up at 2 or 3, and driving, you know, X amount of hours, 2 to 3 hours to these public land spots, and then hiking you know, two, three, four miles, whatever. And that's not as the crow flies. There's, there's a, you know, keep in mind, um, there are landmarks and, and things that I won't get into uh, too much, but they force me to go a certain way around them and everything. And so um, another guy, you know, for example, if you're crossing a ditch, if I carried waders, hip waders, chest waders, whatever, well, I wouldn't have to walk as far, but I'd have to carry a big-ass pair of waders with me. Tried to carry a lawn and leaf bag with me and make that work. Just get in the lawn and leaf bag and walk the, you know, five-yard ditch line. Well, I found out pretty quick that that's not the way life works in this area. So, not the rabbit hole, though. We're going to stay focused. So, you want to make sure that you get plenty of rest the night before a hunt, especially, you know, if it's in the morning. If you're going out um, for an afternoon hunt, dude, take a nap. Just take a little nap. Sit, you know, chill with your family, whatever you need to do. Do something that's relaxing. Go lay in the damn bathtub or take a hot shower and then lay down. Um, one of the things, honestly, this is terrible, but... One of the things that helps me fall asleep at night, have a drink. You ain't got to get drunk. Don't be stupid. Drink water too, but little, you know, uh, vodka and cranberry juice, a beer or two, you know, a, a bourbon, something. Mellow out and get to sleep. And then when you wake up, have your coffee, drink water, drink water, drink water. You need to be peeing a lot. It's not going to hurt your hunt in any way. Unless you got the wrong gun in your hand when he comes by. Um, and then eat some breakfast. Make sure you have protein, carbs, a little bit of sugar. Not a bunch, but a little bit. Boost your blood sugar. Pay attention to how you react to all these different foods, the water, the coffee, etc. And, and adjust them to where when you get through a hunt, you're saying, Man, I, I stayed awake the whole time. 
I paid attention the entire time. I wasn't jittery. I wasn't, you know, standing up and sitting down and, um, you know, waggling around in my saddle, you know, whatever. So make sure you're doing that to start. Now, the next thing I think is another thing that's just beyond important and a lot of people don't really do it very well. And I will say I'm going to pick on the private land guys a little bit, myself included. You got a private land farm and you've only got, let's say, a 300 to 1,000 yard walk, which is pretty short. And I know there's some guys that are probably laughing, you know, like they ride their quad out there or e-bike or um, have a buddy drop them off or whatever and you're walking 100 yards. Cool. You know, you do you. Um, I like to park pretty far away from where I'm hunting. I don't like to give the deer any kind of edge. They do set up to watch you. They're probably even watching where you're parking in open farm country from a thousand yards away. I can guarantee that they are. So the thing I think is important when we get into the cold part of the year, which we're in right now, we're all experiencing it. You have a tendency to just want to put on all your clothes and then walk out to your stand. You get out there, you're a little sweaty. Sometimes you're really sweaty. You get up in that tree stand and you're warm and you have the same stupid thought over and over. It's not that cold. Then the wind picks up. You really feel that sweat cooling your body down, which is what it's designed to do. But then you have wet clothes and they're not drying out. Now all of a sudden we have a problem. And by 8, 8.30 in the morning, you're freezing your butt off. The thing that I've found, and this is so inconvenient, I, I'm not a huge fan of the inconvenience side. I have a pack. For those that care, it's the Mystery Ranch Pop-Up 28. No affiliation with the company whatsoever, even though pretty sure they should send me a damn royalty check because I've sold a lot of those. But to me... When it comes to deer hunting, it's the best pack you can get um, for the mobile hunter, especially someone who wants to pack in their mobile equipment and be able to pack out a whitetail, a full whitetail buck. Body, cape, antlers, whole nine, right? So I put my heavy layers in the meat shelf. I wear, so we've obviously, you listen to this podcast, you know we're partnered with Huntworth. We run the Durham pants. They're the lightweight pants. We hike in those uh, when we scout and hunt in early season. Well, that shouldn't change in October, November, December, January, February. Um, When you hike in and you hike out, you should be chilly to start. You'll warm up right away, and you'll find out why Western hunters really don't require that much clothing Um, but when you're hiking you don't want to have all that stuff on also it helps with the wear and tear and your big heavy layers that are way more expensive they're going to last you a lot longer so when you hike in and you start off a little chilly you warm up and then when you get to the tree you're really not sweating it's as long as you're pacing yourself correctly you're warm And then what happens 
is you put on all these other layers right before you ascend the tree and they're insulating all that heat but there's no sweat there really to make you cold later so now you've just done yourself a huge service where you're going to stay warmer later into the morning what's that going to do it's going to help your focus you're not thinking about how cold you are your feet aren't cold your fingers aren't cold your nose your ears whatever you know you're not cold you're a focused comfortable hunter and now we're looking for deer we're asking ourselves important questions and then if a deer shows up we do the little things to to try to make it happen you're not thinking about oh my god I better get this done so I can get the hell out of the woods and warm up so what I did we we've been running the heat boost system it's a heavy ass system it's it's got um, the Matterhorn bibs I believe it's the Saskatoon vest and the Saskatoon jacket and then you got like the uh, Colburn gloves and um, the gator that's just freaking phenomenal and then and then the beanie um, and those are all like Sherpa lined and everything super nice stuff it's also heavy if you were to wear that in you would be dead by the time you got to a tree especially if you're doing something along the lines of what I am one morning I hiked in like 3.2 miles if I would have wore that I would have shredded it in the green briars probably got it wet in the river and then been sweating to death it would have been a terrible decision so I pack all that in the meat shelf of my pack and it stays there until I get to my tree the other thing is I don't even wear base layers for the most part especially my legs I just put those those Durham pants on the super lightweight pants and 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 it doesn't have to be Huntworth you know obviously we'd love for anybody who supports us to support who supports us um, but whatever you're running I don't care what it is just keep in mind that you need to dress light I wear um, a lightweight hoodie it's actually still my favorite piece of uh, clothing that I have it's the Sheldon hoodie from Huntworth it's phenomenal I want like 20 more of those things so I can wear them every day like the mobile hunters expo shirts I literally wear those every day because they're just nice so I wear that with a long sleeve shirt under it that is uh, you know it's like the athletic wear I don't really know how to describe it it's like polyester and that wicks away any kind of moisture man that's freaking perfect it keeps the wind off of you keeps your core warm enough but you're not sweating and you've got a hood on that Sheldon hoodie so that way if the wind starts picking up you get you know some snow spitting like I had last weekend uh, during the opener of gun season in Indiana man you can put your hood up and you've got it made you get to the tree you take off your pants yeah you're in your undies you got to take your boots off one at a time you put those base layers on which are phenomenal and then you put your pants back on and then you slip on you know your bibs your vest your jacket a vest is huge one thing I'd like to see Huntworth do is get some puffy gear that down the down is like it's untouchable I think in a way the Sherpa line stuff that they're making this heat boost stuff it is phenomenal 
If you were to pair that with down, with like a down vest, a down pair of pants, you, I don't think it would be possible to get cold ever. And, and to break this down for you guys, there's no such thing as clothing that just keeps you completely warm the whole time. It, it's what I would call enough. If I were to dress in all these trillions of layers that I did before, I would be warm for a little bit, but the problem is, is you end up putting on so much clothing that you interrupt your circulation, which is why a lot of people's feet get cold. They don't keep their core temperature up, and then they put their boots on with two or three pairs of socks, and then tie their boots up tight, and their feet are cold in the first 20 minutes of sitting. Well, you're not getting good enough circulation. So little things like that, I'm telling you, they're huge. So when we think about layering, we want to do it all right. You don't just want to spend, you know, 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 or whatever on whatever system you prefer. You want to do every single thing right and get every tiny little bit out of it that you can, which is why you don't wear it into the woods. You wear it before you climb and then you take it off when you get down. I'm here to tell you, you want to talk about depressing? <laughs> Sit in your tree stand for an entire day and, you know, lose your body heat and all that and, and be beat down from the wind and the cold and you've been staring in the woods, scanning all day and you don't have a deer. Now climb down out of your tree stand and take off all your clothes. You talk about a way to rough somebody up. That sucks. But... What it does do is it really encourages you to hike your ass off when you get everything packed up and ready to go. There is zero going slow when it comes to me hiking out of the woods because I'm ready to warm the hell up. And also, you know, it really teaches you why the deer move when it gets colder. They have to, to keep warm. They got to eat. They want to get up. They can't just lay there and soak up the sun all day. So... That's one of the tidbits that I had for you guys as far as, you know, little things winning rings. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly i can't express it enough 
I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. The other thing, when, you're got, when you guys are out there scouting, I can't say it enough. You've got to ask yourself why with everything. And you have to try your damnedest to pick up any tiny little stupid details. The thing that I found the most helpful is the hunting and the scouting really is that simple. It isn't complicated rocket science. It's learning to pay attention. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I can't say that enough. When you learn to ask yourself questions and pay attention, you're going to win. You're going to create more opportunities and shots on goal. The more shots on goal you have, it's going to happen eventually. So you're looking at little details of how the weeds, the trees, whatever, are parted on a trail. I'm personally not looking for beat-down trails when it comes to bucks. I find that the bucks, have their they go their own way. A buck moves... A buck's entire movement, for the most part, is wind-based. Could be wind-to-back, it could be wind-to-nose. A lot of times they're quartering into the wind. When you get into hill country... When they first leave their bed, don't ask me why. I've talked to multiple people about it, and for some reason, they feel comfortable moving wind to back, oftentimes quartering over their back, not blowing straight over their back. So when we, when we think about this, that's why you don't see bucks on super-defined deer trails a lot of times. Not saying they won't. Still, like the path of least resistance, especially during an escape or something. But a buck goes his own way because he has his own preference on how he likes to use his nose, his eyes, his ears, all of his senses. That's how he got big and how he's staying alive. And I'm talking about, you know, mature deer and even a three year old buck. I don't consider that mature to me. A four year old buck and up is mature. And I also think a five year old animal is, is different than a four year old. Um, once they get to five, six, they really become a different animal. But they have their own preference on how they like to move and use the wind and use their, their eyes and ears. So we want to pay attention to indentations in the mud. We want to pay attention to beds. Can't say that enough. If you're within 100 yards of that bed you're going to have opportunities as long as you don't screw it up with movement, noise, etc. or the wind. It's, it's a tricky game, but you're going to get to see the animal. It sucks going hunting and not seeing deer. It's terrible. Um, I want to see deer. Oftentimes you're only going to see the deer, one deer, but hey, we'll take that. So pay attention to what side of the tree the rub is on. What kind of trees are they rubbing? What kind of trees are they scraping under? Anybody here in Southern Ohio knows that if you're walking through hill country and you see a nice beech tree with low hanging branches, it's like guaranteed that you can walk over there and find a scrape. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that in hill country you'll find more rubs 
and scrapes on oaks and beech trees. Here, where I live in Ohio, you find a lot of maples, uh, honey locusts. Um, you know, all, those trees are, are rubbed more often. You get into the, you know, the, the river bottoms and stuff in Indiana, you find the buckeye trees are shredded, and the beech trees, again, beech trees are like the gospel of the Lord, right? So pay attention to all these things. Pay attention to how your wind is blowing. Is it swirling? Is it howling and swirling? You're probably not going to see a lot of deer movement, especially from mature deer, even in the rut, because newsflash, they don't walk around like an idiot all day. They still care about dying. They don't want to die. So if he can't use his senses, I'll quote Don Higgins here, you're asking him to commit suicide by just walking around. So if he doesn't have a stable wind, which is why I really, I, I found it very interesting. A lot of people were crying and complaining about that warm-up we had at the beginning of November. I had amazing, amazing deer activity. Some of the best deer hunting all year because we had a stable wind for two weeks. I mean, we had south and southwest winds every day. Well, what happens when you have, you know, and this is a question I didn't even ask myself last year. What happens when you have a south and a southwest, you know, a southerly wind for two weeks straight? Well, they're going to bed in the same general location, probably. The does are probably going to be found in the same general location. So you've got heavier sign in those locations, which is easier to pick up. The people that like the big cooldowns, I'm not against those, but you're hunting completely different areas at that point. I went back to the same spot where I saw nine deer. I saw two deer at last light, and I'm pretty sure those deer were bumped. So you got to really think about all those little pieces of the puzzle and start connecting those, you know, connect the dots in your mind. Those little things that you ask yourself and that you you know, those little discoveries you make, man, huge. Another thing I learned this year that is just, you know, I could nerd out on this forever. I hunted Kentucky private land with our buddy Bruce. Amazing dude. I'm looking for white oaks. It's early October. White oaks, right? You don't look really for red oaks at that time of year for the most part. <clears throat> Whites are what they prefer. Well, what I had learned is I go there and I find a white oak with leaves that resemble a red oak, but instead they're rounded. It's, it's just a longer leaf. It's not the, the oval white oak leaf that is serrated like the, oh, I think it might be a chinkapin or something. I, I'm kind of kind of brain farting at the moment, but I found this oak. It was a big oak, and it was raining, and the does were pouring into it. I killed a doe off of that oak and some of the smaller ones. So I go into Kentucky's muzzleloader season on public land. Me and Pierce were walking around. Can't hardly find a damn acorn to save our lives and we weren't seeing deer. That's why. Now, 
The other interesting thing is that the locust trees, they had murdered the pods that grow on there. It looked like somebody turned cattle out to pasture underneath those damn trees. We were a week or two late. That's it. We had just been there not long before, and those trees did not look like that. So, take that information. We looked at all our white oaks, which were all large chinkapin oaks for the most part, I'm pretty sure. Um, There also could have been blacks mixed in there. There could have been swamp whites. There's all kinds, right? So... But for the most part, they were they were the the chinkapins. Um, they were beat to hell underneath them. Acorn caps, shells, can't find an acorn, and we didn't see deer. Now fast forward to my Kentucky hunt, or uh, sorry, not my Kentucky hunt, not yet. Fast forward to this Halloween campout. I go, my family and I go to a state park, and we camp out the entire weekend. They let the kids trick or treat. We pull in and I see this gigantic, gorgeous oak tree. And I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff now. I can't help it. I pulled the damn truck over and point to my wife, or I pointed it out to my wife. I said, look at that gorgeous thing. That is a bur oak. See how the leaves are long and, and finger out just like a red oak. But the little fingers, you know, are rounded, gorgeously colored red, which is another detail that's huge. I come back, I pulled the truck over, got out, looked around, leaves are beat to hell. There's no buck sign, but the deer are clearly hitting these acorns. There's caps everywhere, and that thing's just raining. So now, fast forward to my Kentucky hunt. It's my first sit down there. I haven't been there since the end of May. We went down there, We found a scrape that I felt the licking branch was being used up into May. One of those scrapes that deer just use to communicate or whatever the hell it is they're doing. I don't understand it. But I know that the majority of scrapes that we find are complete horseshit and worthless. They just tell me a buck was here. He was frustrated or, you know, whatever. And that's about it. This scrape was clearly the right scrape. It was not a hub scrape. It wasn't, you know, deep in a bowl or or anything like that. Uh, At the head of a hub, it was towards the end of a a ridge on the west side. So you pretty much needed an east wind or a west wind, you know. You could hunt it on different winds. But for the most part, the deer are going to be on that leeward side. So we find it. We find a bunch of white oaks. But I have no idea what kind they are, and I'm just automatically assuming they're chinkapins. Well, it was a mix of chinkapins and bur oaks. I made a post on our Facebook page prior to um, getting down there that morning, and it talked about how I wanted to find beat-up leaves, which I found. I wanted to find acorn caps and shells and all that. I found that. I wanted to find the fresh dirt, that scrape. I walked right up to it. The licking branch had been worked, and the scrape looked like a dust bowl where the turkeys take their dust baths in to get the bugs out and all that and kind of just sort of relax their skin, I guess. It just kind of helps them, you know, 
dust up and kill the lice. It was dug out. And it turns out that I had chinkapins and bur oaks. I found those rounded leaves again. The tree's still holding the red rounded leaves. There were a few that were large, which I think helps. You know, they hold more, clearly. Um, and they were raining while I sat there, seven feet off the ground. So I had great deer movement that morning. Um, another thing I think people should pay attention to is wind speed. Wind speed is everything. There's a reason that bucks and deer in general move when they do, for the most part. It's wind-based. It's, it's based off their senses. Do I feel safe leaving my bed to do X, Y, Z? It's really that simple. It's not rocket science. So as I go through the morning in my Kentucky hunt, sitting below this scrape and above the acorns, I'm literally, you know, one guy, uh, Seth, mentioned it. Um, I think he was hunting Kentucky maybe. He talked about being on the X. Man, you couldn't have been more on the X than where I was right there. And, and that's just, you know, it's not because I'm great or anything. It's just a lot of luck and a lot of, of uh, planning and scouting and thinking things through and scouting my way in. I didn't care about being up at first light. It was a light and variable day. The deer aren't going to move. I don't, it's very low percentage odds that the deer, especially a big buck, is just going to walk around like a freaking moron with a one or two mile an hour wind where you can hear a pin drop at a hundred yards. So we get to 10, 10 o'clock. I see the leaves start to tremble. And what do you know? I see my first deer. Wind picks up a little bit. I see my first good buck. Wind picks up a little more. Here he comes back and I kill him. You know, it, it really is as simple as that. So you, you, you look at the little things, wind speed, wind direction. Um, you know, you, you look at the details of scrapes, rubs, different trees, learn to identify your trees very well, not just, oh, look, an oak. You need to know what kind of oak it is. You need to know what kind of maple it is. You need to know that a deer will eat multiflora rose and green briars and blackberry briars. They'll eat that stuff. Anything that's green, they'll eat it. They'll eat the honeysuckle leaves. They literally are a creature of browse. They browse all the time. So I'm going to quit rambling on to you guys. I just wanted to break some of these things down. Thoughts in my head. I know that it wasn't super structured this morning, but I just wanted to help anyone out. I know the majority of people are not looking to dive this deep, but it's it's been a special year to me, not because I killed a single deer. It's been a good year with that too, but I've learned. I've absorbed everything I can, and there's a bunch of ways I can still get better. I have to be better about eating and hydrating while I'm out there. I have to be better about marking every single detail down in a journal. Uh, probably should start some spreadsheets with trail cam pics and videos, uh, as well as details of every single encounter I have with every deer, um, you know, terrain, etc. Because I really want to learn all these different, um, I guess, environments or whatever. You know, the flat river bottoms and 
uh, hill country and mountain deer and uh, rolling hill ag country and flatland ag country and just the whole nine. So uh, I appreciate you all tuning in. Huntworth has a 30% off discount right now. For the love of God, go check that out. Uh, On the Fueled by the Outdoors Facebook page, I have a post dedicated to that that is pinned to the top. It's the first thing you'll see when you enter the page. So if you want to buy some Huntworth gear, go check it out. Another thing, Afflictor Broadheads also support us, and they've been phenomenal. I believe they're going to be running a Black Friday sale, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And they're going to be restocking their uh, hybrid minis, I believe. So um, check all that stuff out. Let us know what you think. If you don't want to buy it, that's okay. We don't hate anybody for not buying somebody, somebody's equipment that supports us. That's okay. But we would love it if you did. If you do, if you're in the market, check it out. If not, I'll catch you guys next time. We really appreciate you tuning in. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Chris Leppert, and uh, we'll catch you on the next time.